through the hallways of academia and on the face of the moon the footprints of conquest haven't left us any room to say Welcome to the 54th edition podcast of Women's Liberation Radio News for this month of October 2020. This is Jenna DeQuarto. It was four years ago that I joined the team at WLRN and delivered the greeting for our show dedicated to the 2016 presidential elections when Hillary Clinton went up against Donald Trump. Not much has changed in terms of the bleak landscape of the 2020 presidential elections before us. But we wanted to broach the topic again to get ourselves and our listeners informed about this year's choices in the voting booth. This month's edition focuses on the U.S. presidential elections and how they impact women worldwide. We'll hear an excerpt of an interview Thistle did with political science and international relations professor Cynthia Enlow of Clark University, in addition to an excerpt of an interview with Georgia Green Party's Denise Traina. We close out today's edition with Sekhmet Shiawal's totally excellent radical feminist commentary on the state of U.S. elections. The team at WLRN produces a monthly radio broadcast to break the sound barrier women are blocked by under the status quo rule of men. This blocking of women's discourse we see in all sectors of society, be they conservative, liberal, mainstream, progressive, or radical. The thread that runs through all of American politics, except for separatist feminism, is male dominance and entitlement in all spheres. To start off today's edition, here's WLRN's Emily Ann Lorenzen with women's news from around the globe for this Thursday, October 1st, 2020. In the Australian state of Tasmania, Senator Claire Chandler was summoned to an anti-discrimination tribunal after transgender activists complained about her views on female-only spaces in sports. Senator Chandler has questioned Australia's top sporting agency, Sport Australia, the Australian Human Rights Commission, and major sporting codes in their 2019 Trans Inclusion Guideline, which would allow biological males who identify as women to compete against females. Tasmania also allows people to change their biological sex on their birth certificate. The letter summoning Senator Chandler said that her views, quote, could be considered offensive, intimidating, insulting, ridiculing, or humiliating to trans-identified males, unquote. Senator Chandler said to the Senate, quote, Being summoned by a quasi-judicial body to appear and explain why I say that males shouldn't be in female change rooms or in female sporting competitions is an indictment on the state of free speech in this country. It is deeply concerning in a democracy. Instead of using free speech to respond or perhaps even campaign against me in an election, some people are instead seeking to use the law to silence me and every Tasmanian who shares my concerns." 
A feminist collective in Mexico took over the Mexico City headquarters of the National Human Rights Commission, or CNDH, turning it into a shelter for victims of sex-based violence. The Ni Uno Menos, or Not One Woman Less, collective sees the CNDH offices because they claim that the CNDH has, quote, failed to defend women's rights and provide adequate assistance to those in need, unquote. The collective welcomes women from all over Mexico who have suffered sexual abuse. Family members of victims of femicide and other sex-based crimes are also welcome. They offer free accommodations and accompaniment, ensuring that victims' demands and needs are met. A week after the takeover, about 100 women sought legal advice and psychological help from the collective, and about 30 people are staying on the second floor of the CNDH. A woman who came to the collective shelter, Carla Garcia, said, quote, The despair of not having results is what makes me come here. Between us, victims of sex-based abuse, we understand each other. We know the needs we have and that we must support each other. If the government isn't doing anything, we're going to show that we can defend ourselves." Unquote. On September 12th, thousands of protesters, many of them women, marched the streets of several Pakistani cities due to the police blaming a victim of sexual violence. The woman's car broke down on the side of a motorway in Lahore at about 1.30 a.m., then she was gang-raped in front of her children. The lead police investigator said that she, quote, should have known better than to travel alone at night, and she should have taken a safer highway and made sure she had enough fuel for the journey." Unquote. This woman's attack came five days after a five-year-old girl was kidnapped, raped, and murdered in southern Pakistan. These two attacks, along with a toxic culture surrounding child abuse and sexual assaults, has sparked outrage throughout the country. In Canberra, Australia, Beth Rep, a radio newsreader, must pay trans-identified male and transgender activist Bridget Clinch $10,000 in compensation for discrimination. The dispute between Rep and Clinch started in March 2018 when Rep was accused of, quote, misgendering on her Facebook page. Clinch complained to the Australian Capital Territory Human Rights Commission, which led to Rep being ordered to post an apology on Facebook and to pay Clinch $700. Her apology attracted 304 comments, and she liked some of them. Clinch then sued Rep under the Discrimination Act, accusing her of, quote, unlawful vilification and victimization based on gender identity, unquote. The tribunal ruled that Rep should have deleted the, quote, rude, offensive, and unacceptable comments, unquote, and should not have liked them. Don Wooten, a nurse from a private immigration detention center in Georgia, revealed that the center is performing mass hysterectomies on detained women. According to the official complaint lodged with the Office of the Inspector General for the Department of Homeland Security, Wooten said that, quote, the facility was performing hysterectomies on women who reported having heavy menstrual cycles or more serious pain, but everybody's uterus cannot be that bad, unquote. She also said, quote, I've had several inmates tell me that they've been to see the doctor and they've had hysterectomies and they don't know why they went or why they're going, unquote. The center uses one out-of-facility doctor for the hysterectomies. According to Wooten, quote, Everyone he sees has had a hysterectomy, just about everybody. He's the uterus doctor, unquote. 
One immigrant in the complaint said regarding the center, quote, this place is not equipped for humans. In Mazaru Lesotho, women working in jean factories for Levi Strauss, Wrangler, and the Children's Place face systemic sexual harassment and assault. Last year, a report by the Workers' Rights Consortium, NGO, revealed these abusive conditions. With 46,000 employees, the garment factories are the biggest employers in Lesotho. The managers use verbal abuse to, quote, motivate, unquote, the workers to make at least 33 pairs of jeans a day. Women are often hired in exchange for sexual favors, and they are expected to keep up the sexual relationship during employment. Most women either have been or know women who have been sexually assaulted by their employer. The brands, the unions, and the factory managers negotiated and put the Lesotho Agreement into place, which sets up an independent body to investigate sexual harassment and assault, includes safe reporting mechanisms, allows more women into supervisory positions, and provides counseling opportunities for women. If the factories do not abide by this agreement, then they will lose those big brands as clients. On September 22nd, Liz Truss, in her role as Equalities Minister for the British Government, confirmed to Parliament that the government will not amend the 2004 Gender Recognition Act to allow people to change their legal gender without the approval of doctors and officials. According to the article in the UK Spectator newspaper announcing this development, quote, self-ID is not happening, unquote. This is a tremendous win for British feminists who have been fighting against self-ID legislation since it was understood that men, quote, identifying as women, unquote, is harmful to the rights and protections of women and girls. WLRN wishes to give a shout out to all the British feminists who paved the way with grassroots organizing, making it possible for trusts to make this confirmation. On September 18th, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Justice to the United States Supreme Court, died surrounded by family in Washington, D.C. after battling with pancreatic cancer. She was 87 years old. Ginsburg was appointed to the Supreme Court in 1993 by President Clinton, and before that, she argued cases before the Supreme Court to further the rights of women and girls. Here now is a statement from Charlotte Croson, lesbian feminist lawyer based in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and member of Feminists in Struggle, or FIST. Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg's legal advocacy and judicial opinions influenced and were shaped by second wave feminism and set the course for women's pursuit of equal rights in the courts for over half a century. As an advocate, Justice Ginsburg argued six cases before the Supreme Court, each time challenging disparate treatment of women rooted in invidious sex stereotypes. For example, Justice Ginsburg assailed a statute that provided a tax exemption to widows, but not to widowers, as perpetuating Victorian assumptions concerning the status of men and women. And she described the statute that exempted women from jury duty as reflecting and perpetuating a certain way of thinking about women as lesser citizens. After her appointment to the Supreme Court, Justice Ginsburg continued to see invidious sex place classifications as a significant barrier to women's equality. In her majority opinion in the United States versus VMI, she wrote that sex-based classifications may not be used as they once were to create or perpetuate the legal, social, or economic inferiority of women. The goal remained, as always, to strike down sex-based criteria and the underlying sex stereotypes in order to guarantee women equal participation in public life 
including in employment, education, and sports. But it is clear that this project is far from finished and indeed stands in great peril. This peril comes on two fronts. On the right, if Judge Amy Coney Barrett is confirmed, there will be a 6-3 conservative majority on the court for the foreseeable future. It is widely expected that Roe v. Wade will be overturned, and feminists foresee creation of unprecedented religious belief exemptions to civil rights laws, stripping LGBT persons, women, and possibly racial minorities of protections against discrimination in employment and other areas. On the left, neither Democratic Congress nor Democratic president is a safe bet to protect women's sex-based rights. The House of Representatives has already passed the Equality Act, legislation which, at best, conflates and, at worst, replaces sex with gender identity across a broad range of civil rights laws, including Title VII and Title IX. This legislation presents a clear threat to sex-based protections for women, potentially destroying women's sports and equal access to education, and undermining Title VII's workplace protections for women. But a women's movement preoccupied with the Trump court's threat to abortion rights will be unlikely to challenge final passage of the act in 2021. And Justice Ginsburg's recognition of sex as the fulcrum of women's oppression will find an even less hospitable legal environment than in 1972, when she first appeared before the court to argue on behalf of her sex. Feminists and Struggle is focused on meeting the challenges to Justice Ginsburg's work and legacy by defending and expanding women's sex-based rights. We urge you to join in the fight by first and foremost soundly defeating President Trump at the polls in November. Then join FIST as we work for passage of the Equal Rights Amendment ratified in 38 states and advocate for the feminist amendments to the Equality Act. Help us to protect and expand women's equality rights and bring Justice Ginsburg's work closer to full realization. Gina Hoch, a feminist mother of children in Denver Public Schools who Thistle interviewed last month about trans-compelled speech and the bullying her children are facing at school, contacted us with an update about her organizing efforts. Both GoFundMe and FreeFunder, online fundraising companies, removed her fundraisers after receiving complaints from trans activists. Ms. Hoch's response to her followers on Facebook was the following. Quote, how do I fight a system with million-dollar lawyers if I can't fundraise? Why is it okay to discriminate against women, same-sex folks, the poor, and middle class in favor of transgender-identifying people of all backgrounds? Why do transgender-identifying people get more rights than the rest of us to beliefs, the legal system, and the ability to raise money, which translates into power, to fight for our rights? Unquote. These are good questions that all women should be asking themselves when signing up to work on campaigns for women's and children's rights. Gina has managed to successfully hire Colorado Republican National Committeeman Randy Corporon to represent her in her action against Denver Public Schools and their board director at large, Tay Anderson. WLRN will continue to follow Miss Hoke's story and provide our listeners with updates. You can write Gina at ginahook at gmail.com to learn more about her campaign and how to get involved. That concludes WLRN's World News segment for Thursday, October 1st, 2020. I'm Emily Ann Lorenzen. Share your news stories and tips with us by emailing wlrnewscontact at gmail.com and let us know what's going on. Now we'll turn to a rundown I created on our choices in 2020's presidential elections. 
In this public service announcement, I will focus on the 2020 presidential candidates' positions on gender identity politics and women's issues. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are the Democratic presidential candidates. Earlier this year, Biden said that, quote, transgender equality is a civil rights issue of our time, unquote. And he provides a lengthy list on his website of how he will, quote, advance LGBTQ plus equality in the United States and around the world, unquote. His first order of business is to pass the Equality Act within the first 100 days he's in office. The current version of the Equality Act includes, quote, gender identity, unquote, as a protected class, which would negate protecting women as a sex class. He also wants to reverse the transgender military ban. He promises to make it easier for people to change their gender marker on identification documents so people could choose between male, female, or X. He wants to, quote, guarantee transgender students have access to facilities based on their gender identity in schools and college campuses, unquote. He wants to ensure that people will have medical coverage related to transitioning, including invasive gender confirmation surgery. He wants to ban conversion therapy, but Biden does not define what he means by conversion therapy, and since therapy that does not follow the affirmation model for transgender patients has been considered a form of conversion therapy by gender identity activists, this could lead to another battle on the gender identity politics front. He also does not want to house transgender inmates based on their biological sex, but rather by their so-called gender identity. Biden has a special section on his website for his Agenda for Women, which provides another lengthy list of promises. He promises to improve economic security for women by, quote, fighting for equal pay, investing in women-owned businesses, expanding access to education and training, and strengthening pay and benefits in careers disproportionately filled by women, unquote. He also wants to, quote, expand affordable health care for women, to expand access to affordable child care and care for older Americans and people with disabilities, and to provide paid leave and other important workplace benefits and protections." Unquote. He promises to end violence against women, claiming to continue quote, his leadership on this issue since he authored the Violence Against Women Act in 1994. Unquote. He also has a section on his website titled the Biden plan to end violence against women, which goes into more detail as to how he plans to tackle this issue. He also plans to, quote, protect and empower women around the world, unquote, by providing more global funding to combat gender-based violence and to, quote, pursue ratification for the UN Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women, or CEDAW, unquote. For more detailed information on the Biden-Harris campaign promises, go to JoeBiden.com. President Donald Trump and Vice President Mike Pence are the Republicans and are up for re-election. Their website is more vague regarding their stances because they outline, quote, promises kept, unquote, since their 2016 campaign, hinting at their plan to do more of the same as they have over the past four years. They boast an anti-abortion stance under their social program section, restricting funding for Planned Parenthood, 
and restricting foreign aid to countries or organizations that perform abortions. According to an article from the Center for American Progress, the Trump administration has threatened private abortion coverage, has undermined the Affordable Care Act's birth control benefit, has eroded equal pay by stopping data collection on the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission's EEO-1 form, has weakened Title IX by narrowing the definition of sexual harassment and requiring a greater burden of proof, has dismantled the Title X Family Planning Network, has eliminated non-discrimination protections in healthcare, and has limited an increase in the overtime threshold. For more information, I recommend reading the Center of American Progress's article, Women Have Paid the Price for Trump's Regulatory Agenda. Regarding identity politics, Trump reversed the Obama administration's transgender student guidance, which, quote, required schools to protect transgender students from harassment, accommodate their preferred names and pronouns, and give them access to the locker rooms and bathrooms of their choice, unquote. He also banned transgender people from serving in the military. His administration also chose to uphold the original definition of sex that does not include gender identity. The U.S. Education Department has determined that trans-identified males competing with females in high school sports violates Title IX, and they have threatened to cut federal educational funding to states like Connecticut, who allow trans-identified males to compete with females. For more information regarding the Trump-Pence campaign stances, visit DonaldJTrump.com. Howie Hawkins and Angela Walker are the Green Party's presidential candidates. Hawkins answered the, quote, Green Party National Women's Caucus presidential candidate questionnaire for 2020, unquote. He said that he supports the women's rights plank of the National Green Party platform, which can be found at gp.org, except for their stance on sex work. He does not support the Nordic model in favor of decriminalization of the sex trade. He supports the, quote, Equality Act to protect individuals regardless of gender, race, age, religion, ethnic origin, disability, sexual orientation, or gender identity, unquote. He wants to expand the gains made by the Me Too movement by providing workplace and law enforcement training. He wants the Senate to pass the Violence Against Women Act, and he wants to provide health care for women. He thinks that in schools, quote, sex education should cover LGBTQIA sexuality in a way that normalizes the spectrum of gender, unquote. He is pro-choice and wishes to uphold Roe v. Wade. He wishes to confront, quote, the epidemic of violence against transgender people and those who commit violence and murder should be prosecuted and charged with hate crimes, unquote. For more information on the Hawkins-Walker campaign, visit HowieHawkins.us. The Libertarian presidential candidates are Joe Jorgensen and Jeremy Cohen. Jorgensen is for the privatization of healthcare and is anti-Medicare for all or any form of social medicine. She believes, quote, The biggest problem with our healthcare system is that our health insurance isn't insurance at all. Our broken healthcare system has insurance pay for everything and removes all accountability because insurance should only cover unexpected costs, unquote. 
She is pro-choice. Her website does not outline any specific plans or stances regarding women or gender identity politics. However, she did tweet on June 14th, quote, The Trump administration has released federal guidelines saying that healthcare providers and insurance companies can discriminate against the LGBTQ community, specifically targeting transgender individuals, unquote, in regard to the original definition of sex being upheld. She goes on to say, quote, I believe that the government has a responsibility to treat all individuals equally. Sexual orientation, preference, gender, or gender identity should have no impact on the government's treatment of individuals, unquote. For more information regarding the Jorgensen-Cohen campaign, visit jo20.com. That was Redemption Day by Cheryl Crow. Next up, we'll hear excerpts of an interview WLRN's Thistle Pedersen did with Professor Cynthia Enloe about this year's presidential election cycle and what it means for women's progress and rights. This is Thistle Pedersen reporting for WLRN, and today I have Professor Cynthia Enloe on the line with me. Welcome to WLRN. It's great to be here, Thistle. Yeah, welcome back. The last time we talked was about two years ago, and we were 
talking about uh, war and the male domination of, of war. But this time, two years later, we're talking about elections 2020, specifically the presidential elections. What do you have to say about what we're seeing when we're looking at the Biden ticket, the Biden-Harris ticket versus the Trump-Pence ticket? Well, I guess the first message, and I'll say it probably six times during our conversation, is register, 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 vote, vote, vote. Make sure everybody you know has registered where they are going to vote and then have a plan to vote. Vote early or on the day, but vote. If there was ever, ever a time when you vote not for the perfect ticket, You vote for the better ticket. And better in this case between the Biden-Harris ticket and the um, Trump-Pence ticket, the better is a chasm in between. It's not any time, and I know how easy it is to slip into despair or to disappointment or uh, even to cynicism, and I must say I hate cynicism uh, because it's paralyzing and distancing. Um, This is not a time to imagine that they're all the same. They are not all the same. The Biden-Harris ticket may not have been the ticket of our dreams, um, but it is mountains and Grand Canyons better than the really seriously, seriously damaging administration of Trump and Pence. So we're not looking at the lesser of two evils. We're looking at the better of two goods. I mean, no, really, better of two goods. We have one that is really, that is the Pence Trump, because we've now got a record. We know what they do. They dismantle um, environmental protections. They um, put immigrant children in cages. They deny women's reproductive rights. We know what this Pence-Trump ticket aspires to and what they've already done. So once of our main choices, um, and I would say this is not a time to vote for a third party. There may be other times, and I really respect other countries that have more than two choices, but in a presidential winner-take-all um, electoral system, which is what we have, you have to vote for the much, much, much better choice, which is, I believe, Biden and Harris. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about those mountains uh, and canyons of difference between the two choices, the Democrats versus the Republicans, which is what we get year after year after year. Come on. I mean, really, it's our system has been this way for a really long time. And every four years, someone steps up to their soapbox and says, don't vote third party, because then you're voting for the worst of the two evils. You know, you're putting Trump into office. I don't know how many times I've heard that, Um, not just about this year, but in prior years. And so American politics itself comes into question every four years. I think a lot of 
And I'm not being cynical. I think I'm being critical. Um, and, you know, people don't really have faith that their vote matters. And I would say especially women, which is so sad because our sisters 100 years ago really worked hard to get us the vote in this American system. But the American system feels broken and it, and it has for a, a long time. So what are those chasms of difference between the Trump administration and what would be the Biden administration? And, and especially in terms of women and how their policies are going to impact women. The first would be that the Biden um, administration would uh, protect women's reproductive rights again and again and again. Now, reproductive rights, of course, in the American federal system, where states have a lot to say, which is why you vote for your state legislators just as carefully as you vote for the national. Um, but it does matter if you have a national administration, that is the Biden administration, speaking out for doing what it can at the federal level of protecting women's right to choose women's reproductive health. And the Biden Kamala Harris uh, administration would do that. That is huge. The Pence driven Trump administration, because it really is Pence who has set the agenda for Trump. I don't think Trump himself does. I don't think he cares anything. That's the bad news. Or, but I don't think he cares anything about reproductive rights of women. I would love someday, I don't want to invade their privacy, to know how many of his girlfriends and how many of his uh, three wives have at some point had abortions. My guess is quite a number. But the Pence, who is an evangelical, Christian-driven uh, senior politician, he is the driving force behind rolling back Roe v. Wade and rolling back all the protections of women's reproductive health. So when you vote against um, Pence and Trump, many women should have in mind they are voting against Mike Pence's influence on federal reproductive rights um, policy. The second mm -hmm. is environment. And women and men um, have an enormous stake in um, taking climate change seriously, taking wildfires and droughts and super hurricanes seriously. Um, there is gender dynamics in every climate change um, change that we are now seeing. I have mm -hmm. friends that you've interviewed Joni Seeger in the past. Not a single environmental dynamic is without gender consequences, not one. And furthermore, it is not only, but overwhelmingly men who drive the least fuel efficient cars, the trucks, the big Humvees when they were for sale. So gender really does, gender matters in climate change. And this administration, the Trump-Pence administration, doesn't believe in climate change, but worse than that, they believe, they have faith in, if you can believe it, the fossil fuel industry. The Biden Kamala Harris um, administration would take seriously alternative sources of energy, 
They are not in the pocket of, I don't mean they're pure, but they are not in the pocket of the coal and energy and gas industries. That matters a lot. So just take those two things, reproductive rights. Okay, right. And in our program that we, we've done several shows on women and climate change and the environment. And many professors that we've spoken with have confirmed that climate change impacts women as a class worse than it does men as a class. Let's talk about RBG passing and her life and legacy and what it means for women's rights going forward, uh, looking at the court. Well, yes, of course, we're all in dismay about, I mean, she was so sick and she hung on for so long and she worked right through four bouts of cancer. I mean, she's just a remarkable role model for us all. And if those of your listeners who haven't yet seen the, it's called RBG, the documentary film. And then there's also the film that is more commercial, but serious, um, called On the Basis of Sex. And that was, the filmmaker is uh, Ginsburg's own nephew. And he passed by, he said he gave every page of his script to his aunt, that is RBG, to read. So it's mm -hmm. quite a trustworthy film, even if it's commercial, called On the Basis of Sex. We know that the court matters. We sometimes forget that we know that the court matters. It does. We now have just Sotomayor, who is very good, and Kagan, who is very good. And we really need to focus on the Judiciary Committee in the Senate and on Mitch McConnell. And both of them are trying to subvert the integrity of the Supreme Court by trying to ram through a pre-election uh, nomination. We will have to really work hard to support all the Democrats on the Judiciary Committee, including Klobuchar um, and Harris. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, thank you for that. And I, I, it's it's funny because like I don't follow the details of the Democrats versus the Republicans. I'm more concerned about the cultural aspects of American politics and you know what it feels like day to day to be a woman in in America and to have opinions and to try to express them and to not always be able to specifically because I'm a woman and I'm standing up for the rights of women can you talk a little bit about you know you mentioned the movie on the basis of sex there's a huge debate going on right now culturally at least about the difference between sex and gender Maybe couch it in the context of these two potential administrations, the Trump administration versus the um, Biden administration. Do you, which administration understands the difference between sex and gender better? Well, first of all, the reason that the film is called On the Basis of Sex is because that was, now you have to, you have to think culturally, of course, is always in historical dynamic. Um, it's never standing still. Um, although some things feel as though they get, are very stuck. So Ginsburg used sex rather than gender back in 1971 when she was before the court as a advocate lawyer for the ACLU. And she was arguing to 
all male judges who couldn't even imagine what gender was. They only thought about sex. So that's why she used that term to try and change the constitutional understanding of women's rights. So that's why it's called that. She went on and she, right up to the end, really thought about gender because what she thought about was um, expectations, stereotypes, and social role channeling. And that's all gender. Stereotypes and mm -hmm. expectations and role channeling is all about gender. It's what you're Did she take it so far as to say that those stereotypes and roles force women to be subordinate to yes. men, that there's that, a hierarchy? Read her cases. I don't mean you have to become, go and do homework, but just go and read her first, read, R-E-E-D, versus Reed, that is a husband and a wife who were in a case against each other for certain rights. Um, and at the end of Reed versus Reed, and I'm not a court person, so I've just started reading her, her, her opinions are really terrific and her advocacy. So this is when, imagine she's a judge. She's a, I mean, she's not a judge, she's a lawyer. Before she's on the Supreme Court, she's arguing in front of the judges. And she says at the end, she says, Against understandings, a pedestal turns out to be a cage. That is, if you put women supposedly on a pedestal and supposedly protect them, you protect them from the hardship of being on a jury. You protect them from the hardship of working at night. You protect them from the hardship of being executors of an estate, because that's so much work. If you put them on a pedestal, you actually are putting them in a cage. And that's 1971 she was arguing that. Mm -hmm. Okay. And in, in terms of the two administrations, because the, the word gender has evolved since 1971, 1972. And, you know, I don't even know if any of us can come, come up with a cohesive definition of the word gender and what it means in today's world. But certainly radical feminists and lesbian feminists have an analysis of sex and gender and believe that sex is based on just our reproductive capacity and our biological makeup that is female and that gender is a system of power that is enforced on both sexes to keep women subordinated to men. And, that's what, and that's what Pence believes. Pence and the evangelical um, right wing that supports the Trump-Pence administration and will be voting for them in November, they really believe in the fixedness of sex, whereas the Biden-Harris, um, not only them, but their supporters, believe in the dynamism of gender, and in that dynamism, is um, inequality and the drive for equality. That's a big difference. You're absolutely right. Between <laughs> the Pence, Trump doesn't know how to think. So if this is really Pence who is driving the administration on the, uh, quote, naturalness, always put that in quotes, of course, as a feminist, um, and the fixedness of um, sex, and they believe that sex is gender. Um, that is very much... Yeah, and that's different than radical feminists. We do not believe that sex is it's gender. It's the opposite. It's the opposite. Pence 
is the opposite of radical feminism, is the opposite of feminism. I mean, mm, all right. right. Whereas, but, but, but um, on the other side, this belief that gender is dynamic and it's this expression of your true self and it's this wonderful thing is not in alignment with radical feminism because we view gender as a system of power that keeps women subordinated to men. It can be. That is the point about having a feminist analysis of gender, is what you always ask is whatever gender culture, gender system, gender laws there are, are they written in a way that increase the power of people who are imagined to be masculine? That's the feminist analysis of gender. There's gender by itself, unless it's patriarchal, is not automatically a pyramid of power. It is interesting. Made, it is made a pyramid of power. You know, Max Dashu, I've we've interviewed her before. You must be familiar with Max Dashu's work, right? I don't know her personally. Oh, well, cool. It's kind of cool when feminist thinkers come up with the same idea, even without knowing each other. You know what I mean? So, but she she says the same thing that. The gender that we are um, confronted with in patriarchy is not the same kind of gender that we would be expressing and feeling and, and participating in if we lived in a woman-loving society and, uh, you know, or a matrifocal society, woman-respecting society. Um, so... Yeah, but I also think that in our evolution of understanding the difference between sex and gender, that it's really important to understand that women are oppressed on the basis of sex, on the basis of our reproductive capacities. Both. And, women are and, oppressed on both the basis of their anatomies and on the basis of expectations of what it means to be feminine or a real woman. And that means that patriarchy depends on both the manipulation of understandings of sex and the manipulation of the understandings of gender. Both. Patriarchy is very creative and very dynamic and very um, willing and eager to manipulate both gender. That is understandings of what it means to be feminine and yeah. sex, both. They don't, yeah. they don't just focus on one. Right on. I hear that. I hear that. Thank you so much. Sure. Um, are there any final words you'd like to share? Uh, what I've learned through the years of, of who our listeners are, that they're younger lesbian women, fe radical feminist women that are kind of coming up in the world and wanting to step out in their in their power but also a little bit you know afraid of how the world is right now and so I'm wondering if you have any parting words for our listeners well I'm just very excited about all your listeners and very that is the hope so I would say don't think voting is just middle class don't think voting is just white bread don't think voting is too tame. For people fought, and a lot of African Americans in many states and a lot of Latinos in many states 
and a lot of new immigrants in many states right now, that it's going to take guts to vote. Don't think vote, voting is tame. Voting takes guts. It takes activism and it takes a plan. Vote, vote, vote. It matters. I can't tell you how much it matters. Vote. <laughs> Thank you so much, Cynthia. You're welcome, Thistle. Land in the USA, in Boston and New York, not too far away. So we unfurl our banners, we round up our troops, say, sirs, we do not buy it, not all of us are duped, cause the Dems are Republicans, it's all the same to us, war makers or haters, none of them we trust. So I put my sun hat on, grab my walking shoes, kiss my mall job goodbye. Say goodbye to the blues No leader at our center Organic to the core We walk the miles together Not afraid to be more than What they tell us is real We know it's a lie And it's up to us together To free ourselves, earth, water, and sky And we'll shut down their war truth to their lives, open up their gates of power and might, and take them by surprise. These crazy war makers, they have a grand machine, they call it TV, we all worship a screen. So maybe some of us could throw eggs filled with blood at our almighty ruler as he takes his torch with a shrug and no one will hear you in your final hour. But I can assure you that our sticky red egg holds power. Our sticky red egg holds power. Our sticky red egg holds Power and we'll shut down their wars. Speak the truth to their lies. Open up their gates of power and might. And take them by surprise. We gotta take them, take them by surprise. Now the big convention's over. And it's back to our communities, to the places we live, with our gardens and trees. It's not just the state, it's the state of you and me, and how we live with each other as we get ourselves free. Let's plant our roots far down in the ground, so when we finally look up, all we see are the birds in the clouds, and we won't hear a sound. No, we won't hear a sound. No, we won't hear a sound. Bye.
That was Thistle Pedersen's original song about the DNC to RNC 280-mile march over 28 days from the Democratic National Convention in Boston to the Republican National Convention in New York in 2004. It's called Sticky Red Egg and is about female artful political expression on the world stage during the presidential election cycle. And yes, it is art. Thistle is fully aware that what she sings about is not always true in terms of historic accuracy. No eggs filled with red paint were thrown at our ruler as he takes his torch with a shrug, as depicted in the song. But there was a march between both the Democratic and the Republican National Conventions in 2004, protesting them both and the two-party system that so often leaves us feeling disempowered. This is my mini-commentary rant to say that our movement needs artful and creative thinking, in addition to the more pointed thinking necessary for legal documents, voting, and policy writing. Let's all work together to take them by surprise and replace patriarchy with woman-centered and woman-loving culture and politics. On that note, next up, hear an interview Thistle did with Georgia Green Party treasurer and former co-chair Denise Trajina. Denise talks about the importance of always pushing for more choices, more authenticity, and more parties in the United States electoral political system, as well as sharing her thoughts about this year's presidential tickets. I've got Denise Traina from the Georgia Green Party on the line today. Welcome, Denise. Hi. Yes, good to be with you again. So can you tell our listeners just a little bit about why you joined the Green Party and decided to move outside of the two-party system, how long ago that was, and how you you made that decision? Sure. Um, Back in 2000, I was very excited because Ralph Nader was running. And I'd grown up um, hearing about Ralph Nader and his uh, work as an advocate, consumer advocate, for us, for the nation. He would put out um, articles and information that helped us be safer. He was um, just put himself out there as a truth teller. So um, when he became interested in running for office, um, I, I got on board and looked at what the Green Party was doing and saying and um, saw that, you know, it works, (laughs) it made sense to me. Um, The four pillars, for instance, of a grassroots democracy, nonviolence, economic um, justice under social justice, environmental wisdom, looking at the future. Those things um, really hit me as being, um, you know, so important and things that we were perhaps actually ignoring. And as I, you know, educated myself as part of the party membership, uh, began to learn more about how we could make these, uh, these particular initiatives priorities, but it would take a party a third party to do it, to really make that happen. And so I became more involved and, you know, um, as a volunteer and then as um, I took on roles eventually in the, in Georgia as co-chair committee member on the national level as a voting member for Georgia as well, you know, but, yeah. but doesn't, sure. doesn't, doesn't being in a third party put at risk the worst of the two evil candidates being, put into power because your third party vote could have gone for the lesser of 
of two evils or the good of the two party system, yeah. the Democrats and the Rep Republicans. That's that's kind of a common trope that people will say or think. But the, the fact is, in the United States, people do not take voting as a serious duty of citizenship. And and we haven't. We've uh, Most Americans leave it to other people to do. And that goes way back to those laws and rules for me uh, that that used to say who could vote, you know, going way back to um, the beginnings of our country, um, where only people who were white men and owned land could vote. So, you know, we've come a long way in in our legislation, not completely, we're still we're still not fully there. But the citizenry still has not understood the power that it has, if it chooses to exert that power. And so voting, um, I I feel that, no, the spoiler thing doesn't really work because there are so many Americans who, frankly, are not voting. So it's so important to have candidates with whom you can identify, with whom their um, priorities are your priorities. So, no, we're not um, taking votes from anybody, but we certainly want to support people that, that reflect our beliefs. And um, this year, for instance, our um, candidate that was voted on at the annual meeting, um, Howie Hawkins and his vice presidential uh, candidate, uh, Angela Walker, are the folks that, you know, the cream came up to the top and that's the, these are our folks that are our candidates. Now, if you're fortunate enough to be in a state that has the Green Party on its ballot, then you will see their names there and we hope you'll vote for them because voting for them means that you know, the pillars of the uh, party, which um, grassroots democracy, nonviolence, environmental wisdom, social justice, if those things are important to you, then we hope that you will vote for those candidates. Now, it's not as easy for the other states uh, where you won't see green candidates on the ballot, but you may have the ability to write them in. So please do that. And and you're not taking away from anything. You're showing your support for the pillars of the Green Party. You're showing your support for the people. Our country has not been ruled or governed by the working class folks, and we really want to see the people who are most affected by policies and programs that we spend our tax dollars on. We want those people to have more of a say. Um, we pay the taxes, we do the, the jobs, but yet we don't yield the benefits as much as the, the um, I guess we can say, our elite folks do. And when we elect and continue to elect people who are part of that elite uh, elite part of our um, society, we only get their point of view. So what we want is to be at the table. And the only way to get at the table is to, you know, show up, show up and be heard. And so I hope, you know, again, that um, we're we're hoping that people who can vote green will vote green because they looked at the initiatives and the issues that we're talking about. And when we talk about grassroots democracy, we mean putting folks like Howie Hawkins and Angela Walker, who are folks that have been working class all their lives, who have worked in uh, cooperatives or union situations for the betterment of all people, not just themselves.
We are talking about having delegations of people be heard by the folks that are elected. And, you know, we've seen a decrease of that influence because lobbyists have so much power. When lobbyists for a certain entity uh, enter the the halls of Congress and hand out checks to elected officials, there's something wrong with that. Because legislation is being dependent, is is actually influenced by that money rather than by the working class people who are the ones who really support this United States and how it works. And so we're talking about representation by people, you know, that way back to the the boat and the Tea Party, and the uh, the we want if we have taxation, we want representation, and we deserve that. Um, further on our pillars of nonviolence, we're tired of seeing, and and you will see polls of, will show you this. We're tired of seeing our money go into a huge inflated military budget. We want efforts to be put down and, and taxpayer dollars to invest in, in our local peacemaking. Some of that would have to do today with the issues surrounding, um, police, uh, tactics, you know, we want to see um, what we call crisis intervention teams in every city, where paired with the um, sheriff's office would be mental health practitioners, okay, at the ready for any of those situations that merits it. We have so many occasions where we can recall where people with mental health diagnoses ended up dead and officers as well, wounded and dead, because we didn't really possess the tools to de-escalate situations. So, you know, there's there's so much that has to do with our budget and how we spend it. Well, if the people who are dealing out the budget and appropriating funds don't have a very good idea of what's really happening in the communities, then that money's going to be dispended in uh, or disseminated in a different way than if you were hearing from the people. So, you know, mm-hmm. the the Green Party is a people's party. And 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 first and foremost, of course, economic or environmental, sorry, environmental wisdom, we are overall number one concerned about the environment. And you just don't the new green deal, the green new deal rather, that was crafted by Green Party folks and co-opted by the Democratic Party um, goes much further than the Green New Deal that you heard about from Ms. Ocasio-Cortez. And, you know, we think it's important enough that we should be allocating those dollars instead of going to the military industrial complex should be going towards the, the national and local efforts to improve our environment and drastically reduce um, you know what's coming, which is it's already started. We see the differences in in um, in our um, geographical locations in terms of weather and flooding, different um, things that are hurting our forms of uh, food production and reducing our ability to house people safely. Um, so the Green Party is began out of the efforts of global greens. And it is now a bigger, a a huge, um, huge initiative because we see globally what's happening in the environment. So it's really important for the United States to take this 
it's you on serious. Yeah. And I just want to point out to our listeners that the Georgia Green Party in particular here in the United States has taken a strong stance in favor of women and girls sex based rights by signing on to the women's human rights campaign declaration. And so when you're voting for because, you know, I have some issues and I know our listeners, some of them do, too, with Hallie Hawkins and Angela Walker because of their stance on the trans issue, you know, believing in transgenderism, believing that it's a human rights issue for these poor, marginalized, you know, this group, this category called transgender to the detriment of women's sex-based rights. But yet, you know, the Green Party is so different than the Democrats and the Republicans because you've got a state party within the 50 party, you know, the 50 state system that has rebelled and moved away from that. And it's still going strong. And, you know, there's a dialogue that's emerging. And so I just wanted to say, point that out about the Green Party and how I feel that that's kind of different than how the Democrats and the Republicans are. Although I also want you to speak, and we don't have much time, maybe in two minutes, if you can talk to the voter or the, you know, disgruntled voter who says a vote for any party is a vote for the system. And what we need is real grassroots change that's, you know, not continuing this broken system that we've got going. What would you say to them? Well, I would say, uh, first of all, in response to what you said about our, you know, Howie and and Angela and their views on um, transgender and stuff, um, the party is not those two people um, per se. The states run autonomously and, um, you know, we're all flawed and we, the people, need to um, share more information and our views and have more dialogue on these issues because they're tough issues. Um, But this party goes back to a feminist root, feminist roots, and we're not giving up those feminist roots. And so we need to, you know, continue that dialogue. We, you know, voting green brings all the initiatives forward. And so I would say, you know, um, we are different. We are very different in that. I think, you know, when we look at the rules that govern the people right now, that in government, when you see tax laws that are not just, that only that support and are designed to support those of wealth, rather than encouraging the building of wealth by everyone, when you see a lack of full employment or focus on full employment, and that and, and not even including the disability community in full employment and that idea and concept. When you don't see education as a priority and accessible to all, then, you know, if this is what the two-party system has done for us or not done for us, then why would we continue to want to support the two-party system? Those are just a couple of examples. When you have a candidate, for instance, like Mr. Biden, who years ago talked about the dismantling and discontinuing or or at least lessening of funds for Social Security, and he's in the Senate, and he's so out of touch with the need for that Social Security for people, 
you know, we need somebody different. We need another party. We need a third party that looks at how we're spending our, our budget, our money in the budget. And, you know, when we had President Obama, for instance, on the issue of immigration, he deported more people than ever. He did not show the support for people that that folks thought he was going to do. Um, he had, you know, sent more uh, deployed and used the drones and drone warfare. Uh, so obviously he believed in investing more in the military budget. There's a lot of us believe that we should be investing more in our national needs. And that means that every every student should have the freedom to be able to attend a college for their abilities. We need more doctors, we need more plumbers, we need more carpenters, we need we need a well-rounded including IT talented individuals in this country yet we're not opening the doors and we haven't been doing it when we could have. So if that's what the two-party system's done for us, I think a lot of us are ready for a third party. And Okay, um, well, you thank know, you so much for your input into our discussion of U.S. presidential elections and electoral politics in general. It's been really helpful to hear your point of view, Denise. Thank you. Thank you. Don't forget, vote. This. 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 This is WLRN. 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 Women's Liberation Radio News. Women's Liberation Radio News. Women's Liberation Radio News. Women's Liberation Radio News. Once again, anticipating a presidential election in which there is no good option. I guess we shouldn't be surprised, but so many of us are still disappointed, not to mention frustrated. Come January, we're either going to have Trump, a totally incompetent, chronically dishonest puppet of the right wing, or Biden, a senile centrist Democrat who has never in his career had any intention of giving America the quality of life we could and should have as our new president for the next four years. Both of these men are sexual predators and rapists. Both of them have a history of racism. Both of them are wealthy capitalists who intend to protect the upper class and keep the rest of us overworked and underpaid. I, for one, am not going to tell you to vote or who to vote for. Voting is a personal decision, and given what this year's ballot looks like, I don't blame you if you don't want to vote for president at all. I'm tired of the never-ending argument we have in this country about the morality of voting for useless Democrats versus not voting and therefore theoretically letting Republicans win. I'm sure many of you are tired of that argument, too. Our electoral political system is a hopeless joke, corrupt to its core and clearly beyond reform. The only real choice we have in the voting booth is getting behind the guy who won't make things worse or getting behind the guy who will, but nobody's going to make things better. What I want to convey in light of the 2020 election is the same thing I wanted to convey in 2016. We can't expect a president or any other politician to satisfy the feminist agenda. We can't expect a man, any man, to help us in any significant way or to push our society into a more feminist direction. The feminist issues I care about the most 
male violence and sexual predation will never be solved or even improved, certainly not by some heterosexual man in the White House. Congress has made it clear they don't care about us either and won't help us in any meaningful way, not even the female Democratic politicians. All the things you want as a feminist woman will not be handed to you by Congress and the Supreme Court and the President. Misogyny and patriarchy predate our government and this country by thousands of years. If America as we know it one day ceases to exist, misogyny and patriarchy will survive it. So don't expect the government, any government, to grant us the liberation that our feminist movement seeks. Women in the suffrage movement fought so hard for decades to convince men to give us the right to vote. It's been exactly a century since the ratification of the 19th Amendment, which makes this year's presidential election all the more depressing, in my opinion. A hundred years have gone by and we're still forced to settle for misogynistic male creeps as our leaders. Not that a female president would necessarily be much better if you're looking at actual policy and potential achievements. Setting aside the Republican and right-wing female politicians who have always been around, even the women who run for office as Democrats are on the side of male power and dominion, enough to guarantee they won't be attempting to interrupt business as usual. That brings me to Kamala Harris. All I can say about her potential election as vice president is do not fall into the trap of being satisfied by symbolism. Do not buy into identity politics, which amounts to the image of the politician mattering more than her actions and policies. An amazing number of women did just that with Hillary Clinton in 2016. They cared more about the idea of the first female president than they did about her policies and political career. Now we're supposed to get excited about Kamala as not only the first female vice president, but the first non-white woman to be vice president. We're not supposed to hold these Democratic women to any kind of standard as they approach significant political offices, just like we're not supposed to hold the Democratic Party to any particular standard or set of expectations. We're just supposed to be happy it's a woman and not a man, a Democrat and not a Republican. This is not how we get the results we want. Any real progress that's going to happen in American society is not going to amount to a bunch of women, people of color, and homosexuals taking office. If that was enough, we could be happy about Republican politicians in those categories winning elections. The only victories that mean anything are the ones that improve our quality of life as working citizens and as women. I don't care who brings us universal health care, a livable minimum wage, a fair federal tax code, and a reduction in U.S. military intervention overseas. I only care that those results happen. Would it be nice to have women running the country instead of rapist men? Sure. But don't forget that countless women protect and enable rapist men and go along with the male agenda in just about every way that counts. I will not be distracted from that fact and give female politicians my trust unearned. Neither should you. Thanks for listening to WLRN's 54th edition podcast for this Thursday, October 1st, 2020. I'm April Noe. 
WLRN would like to thank our guests this month for sharing their views on American electoral politics and the presidential elections 2020. Thank you so much, Cynthia Enlow and Denise Triina, for speaking with us. If you like what you're hearing and would like to donate to the cause of Feminist Community Radio, please visit our WordPress site and click on the Donate button. Check out our merch tab to get a nice gift in exchange for your donation. In addition, if you're interested in joining our team, we're always looking for new volunteers to conduct interviews, write blog posts, post to our Facebook and other social media pages, and do other tasks to keep us moving forward as a collective of media activist women. Thanks for listening. This is Thistle signing off for now. And I'm Sekhmet Shiawal. Thanks for tuning in. Next month, we will focus our program on a feminist analysis of Christianity and will feature the music of Chris Wind, a feminist artist from the 1980s who recently reached out to WLRN about her radical feminist music from that era. We got so inspired listening to her song, I Am Eve, we decided to create an entire show around it. Our handcrafted podcasts always come out the first Thursday of the month, so look for it on Thursday, November 5th. If you'd like to receive our newsletter that notifies you when each podcast, music show, and interviews are released, please sign up for our newsletter on the WLRN WordPress site. Keep fighting male power. Thanks for listening. This is Jenna DeQuarto signing off on another edition of WLRN's monthly handcrafted podcast. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Spinster, and SoundCloud, in addition to our WordPress site. Thanks for listening. Our monthly podcasts are always crafted with tender loving care and in solidarity with women worldwide. Thanks for your support. We would love to hear from you. So please comment, like, and share widely. But how will we find our way out of this? What is the antidote for the patriarchal kiss?